Good morning, Door Creek. It is good to be together today. And if you're a guest, my name's Mark, one of the pastors here. And uh, it's been an exciting and exciting summer. So yesterday at 3.30, the team gathered here. And that's a team of high school students primarily, some collegiates as well, some adult leaders like Pastor Darren, who oversees our middle school ministry. And they're off to, uh, to encourage and work alongside of one of our international partners, Mission of Hope, down there in Haiti. And so we're excited about that, excited to hear more of the reports of God changing lives through some of the summer ministries that we have here. So, you know, we just put in those two soccer fields and we're excited to, to leverage sport to point people to Jesus because it, it actually happens. So this, this year, we weren't able to use a new field. It's not this year, but we had a camp at the Door Creek Park just across the street and one at Warner Park and 21 kids indicated that they placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's so encouraging. And then I know just um, when, when I was gone, before I left, there were a couple people that came to faith during uh, Artie's time of preaching. A bunch of people came to faith. Another person last week. I'm counting up like 30 people in the last seven, eight weeks who've come to faith. So that is great, great praise to God. And I'm thankful for your heart for God, for his mission, the way you live for that, the way you give generously in your service, whether it was opening your home for one of the coaches or your generous giving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we get to do this together. And that is awesome. So we're, we're starting a new series called Credo. And it's about the Apostles' Creed. Credo is the Latin for the very first two words of the creed, I believe. We're going to be focusing on those two words today. So when it comes to uh, your belief in God, what do you believe about God? What do you know about this God who has revealed himself to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If I gave you a piece of paper and said, and, and maybe like a bunch of paper, and said, just start writing everything you know about God. How long would you be writing? How many lines would you fill? What do you know about God? Does it matter what we know about God? A.W. Tozer has a great quote that goes like this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's because our beliefs shape our behavior. They guide how we live our lives. So our belief in God matters according to God. Jesus says it's a life or death matter for us. So our belief in God guides the way we live today. It helps us as we chart a future that is uncertain, wondering where we're going, and then dealing with past stuff, that, that there's nothing we can change, but our belief in God changes the way we view the past, live the future, live today, and think about the future. Jesus says this about the importance of what we believe and in whom we believe, John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Beliefs shape behaviors. So why are we studying the Apostles' Creed? Because a bunch of you are like, 
this is really exciting. I grew up in a church tradition where we said the creed every week and finally we're gonna talk about something that was really important to me for a long time in my life. And then there's like the complete flip side where you're going, yeah, I went to one of those churches too. And that was just part of the dead liturgy of that place. And why are we going back to that which was just so dead and full of religious ritual? Why are we doing that? There's a whole bunch of us that are going, apostles what? What is that? I mean, you hear Apostles Creed, and you're thinking of the Rocky movie, Apollo Creed. Like you have no reference. What is this? And then there's a bunch of us, maybe you grew up Baptist going, hey, this is the only creed, the Bible. I don't need the Apostles' Creed. So why are we doing this? So remember where we are in, in the sense of where we are as a church. We're six months into this new chapter we're calling Rooted. What's Rooted all about? Being grounded for good. Grounded in Christ for the good of the world. It's about going deeper. This is all about grounding our faith in the truth of who God is and what that means for us as a people, individually and together. So that's why we're going after this wonderful study in the Apostles' Creed, which, if you think about it, is a primer or like the cliff notes. It's, it's getting it down to the bare essentials of what Christians have believed throughout the centuries. So this is, this is tying us back to the historical nature of our faith. It didn't like we're a church of 50 years, but the things that we believe aren't 50 years old. These are rooted in the history of God's people who loved and followed him. So here's our goal. Our goal is that we would connect the affirmations within the creed to the word of God and then those truths from God's word to our hearts to the end that as we learn more about God, we, we learn to love this God that we're knowing more and more about and that we're better positioned to love and serve the people he's called us to love and serve in this world. So by way of introduction, let's just talk a little bit about the history and background of the creed. First of all, what is a creed? It's a set of beliefs that guide how we live our lives. We all have creeds, they're all around us. They, they may not be written, they may not even be conscious, but written, unwritten, conscious, unconscious. So there's some creeds going on with the two major candidates. Stronger together, make America great again. It's kind of a creed. Our families that we have grown up in or that we're raising, we have creeds, written and unwritten. Don't rock the boat. Peace at all costs. Never quit. That's a creed for some families. Respect. That's like, it's just one word. Respect. Show respect. Companies have creeds, and then we actually, individually, we all have a creed. You may not be able to get it in a pithy saying, but you have a creed. You have a set of beliefs or a fundamental belief that guides how you pursue life. So there are people whose creed is, they may not say it, but it's success at any and all costs. You've worked with some of those people. They've stepped over you, on you, trashed you as they made their way up the corporate ladder. We know that's a creed. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the American dream, finishing well, working hard, playing hard, loving God, serving people. These are individual creeds that we don't just hold, but we actually hold them not just verbally, but we actually live them out. 
They shape how we live. Here's what the Oxford Dictionary says in its dictionary. Creed is a system of Christian or religious beliefs. It's a formal statement of Christian belief, like what we have in the Creed, the Apostles, the Nicene. And then here it is, a set of beliefs or aims that guides someone's actions. So it'd probably be a good thing, you know, on a, on a rainy Sunday, and uh, you, you maybe have a little downtime, just say, so what, 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 is, what is my creed? What, what is it that actually functionally drives my life? See, we can say, well, uh, oh, my creed is, and, and, and we have it all, and it sounds really good in this room on a Sunday morning, and we get like, wow, you are really good. But then functionally, like during the week, at work, in the neighborhood, in our closest relationships, what is it that is fundamentally driving the way we live our life. So the origins of the creed, we would think, tie back to the apostles because it's called the Apostles' Creed. So the apostles are the guys that were sent out by Jesus, commissioned with the message of the gospel, and they were called the disciples, the followers who became the apostles, the sent out ones. And so we think, well, it's, it's, it's gotta be you know, the apostles that handed it down to us. Well, they did, but not in the sense that we can go to the New Testament and go, oh, there it is. It's in 2 Thessalonians. I've never seen it before. There are the 12 lines of the Apostles' Creed. So it's called the Apostles' Creed because it's connected to their teachings, okay? But the fact is, it doesn't come into the form that we know it today until the fourth century. So it took a while. What we know is the fundamental creed in the New Testament, the earliest followers of Christ, was Jesus is Lord. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 10, New Testament. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. Here's an example of this. As you're turning there, Romans 10, 9 and 10, you'll remember that Rome controlled Palestine. They were under Roman rule. Jesus was crucified by Roman soldiers, right? So the word in the creed of the day was Caesar is Lord. And so when Christians were saying Jesus is Lord, that was radical. He actually has ultimate rule and say over this world and my life. He's my personal king, Lord and Savior. My allegiance is foremost to him. Yes, I render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, as Jesus said, but not my allegiance. My allegiance is to Christ. So we read this in Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, there it is, that the earliest, shortest creed, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, not just in your head, we'll talk about that more, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, that is, made right with God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So the creed goes back to the apostles' teaching. It was part of the early church. What part did it play? A couple of things. Number one, it was used to instruct people. So it became a framework of teaching people 
about God, the Father who made them and the whole world, the Son who redeemed them through his life, death, and resurrection, the Spirit who applied the work of Christ to their lives, making them new, forgiving their sins, placing them in God's family, this church universal. That's what Catholic means, universal. This one who gave them not only new life today, but hope of eternal life, resurrection life in the future. And so they would teach about the foundations and fundamentals of the faith using the outline, so to speak, of the creed. When people confessed faith in Christ, as they move towards their baptism, a lot of times in church history, they use this kind of like as a curriculum to teach them. There are catechisms for, for students and children growing up in the church to learn more about God. They'll use the outline of the creed. So for instruction, and note the structure of the creed. It's all about a triune God. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And so it fleshes that out, and then it talks about the church. So instruction. The second thing is protection. How did it protect the church? Well, the greatest danger and threat to the church, and we saw it just in our study of Colossians, is people adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel. Jesus is great, but he's not enough. Ah, Jesus isn't quite who you think he is, taking it away. And so the creeds came sometimes in reaction to that heresy, that false teaching, that false gospel, and other times just to protect God's people in the future so they would know what is true. And it, in a sense, becomes like this, this, this filter for the virus that would come in and bring disease to the faith in the church to say, whoa, 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 something's coming in here that is not true. And the reason they would know it, because they've been taught the truth, right? And then there's a third thing. It would bring great encouragement and strength to the church as well as they affirm their faith together. We're gonna do that in just a minute here. And as we do that, it just, it connects. This is what we believe as Christ's followers. But it just connect us to those of us here in this room or to our other campuses, but it connects us to churches across our city and across the nation and across the nations today who will affirm their faith, but not just to those churches globally today, but to those who have lived throughout the history of the church. We stand in the line of the historic faith of God's people who are responding to God's love revealed in Christ, affirming their faith and love in this one who died for them. And that is huge. So we don't just say the creed. We don't just repeat a creed. And if you grew up in a place where you go, that was all dead to me and it was all dead liturgy, it's because it was just that. It was just repeating things and saying things. So like if you're not in the chapel, but when you're in the chapel and we do recite the creed, but we don't ever say recite. We talk about we're gonna affirm our faith we're gonna affirm our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. So I'm gonna ask you a question and then you can respond as together we read the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? Here it is, let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The Apostles' Creed. So today, we venture into the very first two words, and we want to talk about faith, I believe. So we just corporately shared our faith, but faith begins individually. I believe. Not just we believe, I believe. It's not mom and dad believes this. It's not my wife believes this. Not like my family goes way, way back. We've had a heritage of Pete. No, this is me. I've had a a personal interaction with God where he has made himself known to me and I have placed my faith in him. I believe this. God has children. We're referenced as brothers and sisters. There's no reference to God having grandchildren. Oh, to be sure, Timothy's grandmother, Eunice, was a believer, but he didn't inherit the faith. He received the faith. It's I believe. Not just my parents believe. Somebody else believes, okay? So faith. This is really a confusing topic in our day. So let's talk about what faith is not. When uh, J.R. Packer is talking about this, he says, it's interesting when you talk to people about faith, they talk about it giving different answers and different kinds of answers. So he'll, he'll reference someone could say they believe in God and another person saying they believe in aliens. We could add to it, I believe in reincarnation. I, I believe in love. I believe in karma. I believe in hard work. He goes on to say, you can believe in aliens and love and never have searched for them. I would add, you can believe in hard work, but it doesn't mean you've ever worked a day of hard work in your life, right? Now, when people hear about our faith as Christians, for a lot of them, and maybe this is where we are, they think that what we just did was, I don't know, there's so many choices, they seem all valid, eeny, meeny, miny, I'm just gonna jump a blind leap into this dark abyss where we check our brains at the door. There is nothing objective about our faith. It's just this irrational, kind of fueled by maybe some emotion, and we just jumped. That's not biblical faith. That's not what the Bible means about faith. I don't know if you remember little Susan Walker in the movie Miracle on 34th Street, but she kind of She epitomized this in that line where she says, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. That's this kind of idea of a blind leap in the dark. In the latter part of the 20th century, Richard Robinson, a leading atheist philosopher, published a book called An Atheist Values in which he stated this thing, and it just 
ties to what we just said about people's perception of Christians and our faith. Christian faith is not merely believing that there is a God. It is believing that there is a God no matter what the evidence may be, i.e., there isn't any. There isn't any. So he goes on to say, it is believing that there is a God no matter what the evidence may be. Have faith in the Christian sense means make yourself believe that there is a God without regard to the evidence. Make yourself believe, right? In other words, Christian faith has a habit of flouting, dismissing reason, informing and maintaining faith in God. It's subjective, it's not objective, has nothing to do with our mind. It's just kind of this heart stirring, blindly in the dark. Archie Bunker, famous character of the 1970s TV show All in the Family, said this about faith. Faith is what you wouldn't believe for all the world if it wasn't in the Bible. So again, it's just, it, it's just misnomers of faith. It is not a blind leap. We'll talk about what it is in just a bit. It's also not head knowledge. This kind of intellectual ascent where we have these categories of things that we think and hold but it doesn't really shape how we live our life. So James will say this, as the body without the spirit is dead, this is James 2, 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Biblical faith works. It doesn't just stay up in the noggin. It works out in how we think and how we speak and what we do with our lives before God and with each other. It's also not a feeling. There's a third thing, a fourth thing that faith isn't. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It's not dark. It's not about head knowledge alone. There is knowledge, but it's not just head knowledge alone. It's not just emotions. And the, the fourth thing I'd say is this. Faith is not independent. Faith is not just about you. Biblical faith always, and in fact, any kind of faith always has an object. And so it's not, the, it's not about how much I believe this. It's not about, oh, they're so sincere. You can be sincerely wrong. Our faith is connected to an object, and our faith is only as good as the object. So we drive down highways. Some are divided. They've got mediums and they've got guardrails, and we feel pretty secure. But think about it. How many miles have we traveled on small roads that the only thing between us and this car that is coming, if they're driving the limit 55, and we know most of them aren't, the only thing is this double yellow line, right? And our faith, I guarantee you, is not... Man, I love that double yellow. I mean, it's good. We like it because it defines where they're supposed to drive. But our hope isn't. And if they stray, the cool thing about yellow lines is they jump up, they grab the tires, and they push them back. Our faith is not that double line. Where's our faith? In that driver coming at me that he or she will be attentive and keep their car in their lane. And then we realize when the accidents happen, and they do, because the bee distracted them, because they were texting and driving, because they were looking for some things on the pile next to them and some documents and took their eye off the road, that our faith is only as good as the object. 
And if they're not attentive and they cross, it doesn't matter how much I had faith in them to stay on that line. It's only as good as how they stay on the other side of the line. Let me give you another example. You come in here, you all sat down. I didn't see anybody test the chair. You just sat down. You say, well, I've done it a lot of times. I, it looks like metal. So what if I put together an auditorium full of chairs that were made of straws put together by scotch tape? And you said, well, if you put them together, Mark, I trust you. Well, that was dangerous. Now, you could sincerely believe that that chair is going to hold you up. But your faith is only as good as the structural integrity of that chair. Our faith is not just ours. It's in something. In fact, the word and the verbal form of the word to believe means this, to believe into. So there's always an object. It's not a blind leap. It's not just about my head. It's not just about my heart and feelings. And it's not just about me. My faith is in something. So what is it? The biblical definition of faith is, in one word, trust. Synonyms, reliance, or a a reliant commitment. So when the Bible talks about it, it'll talk about the obedience of faith, Romans 1.15. Let me give you an illustration. This is a great one. Charles Blondin, 1855. He's this Frenchman. He's crazy. He's walking over the Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet on a tightrope, and he's doing all kinds of feats. He's walking over it blindfolded, front, backwards. He, at one point, he takes out a camp stove, and he cooks an omelet over the Niagara Falls and eats it. Then another time, he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he goes across, and he gets to the other side, and the people go crazy. This is just unbelievable what this guy can do. I mean, think about it. Niagara Falls on a tightrope, wheeling a barrel across the tightrope. So he gets to the other side. He says, you think I can do it again? They're all going, we just saw you. Yeah, you're the man, blonde, and you can do it. So he says, great, get in. (laughs) Ah, now things got really clear. Now things got really clear. I believe you can do it, and I'm going to trust my life and put it in your hands in this wheelbarrow. Two really different things. Biblical faith is about getting into the wheelbarrow. Biblical faith is about surrendering our life and putting all of our weight in God's hands. Trusting him. Well, why would we do that? How do we do that? Well, let's talk about it. Now, faith is a gift. And the gift comes to us through the word of God. Ephesians 2, 8 says this. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this, your salvation and your faith, is not from yourselves. It's not something we go, I believe, I believe, I I gotta believe, I gotta believe, I'm there, am I? I, Yeah, I'm there, I'm good, I believe it. No, it's not from within ourselves. It says it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Not a result of something I've done, my works, that I should take credit for that, that I should boast in it. So faith is something, the Bible says, is external to us. I don't have it, but I can have it. I receive it as a gift. So the question is, so how would I receive it? And the Bible's really clear. 
We receive faith in God by learning about who God is in his word. Look at how Romans 10 puts it, verse 14 and 17. And this is really, really powerful. Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him? Call on him is a biblical expression of how, how can they worship God? How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard of? How could you have faith in God and know nothing about God? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing. That's how we receive faith, through hearing. But hearing what? Hearing the word of who? He could have said word of God, but he said Christ. Why does he say Christ? Because Christ is the perfect revelation of God. Romans chapter one says, we can learn a lot about God's power in creation. There's something created in us, even our conscience, that reminds us that there is a God who is just and is right. But there's a whole nother layer of revelation and it comes through his word written and living. And we just study this in Colossians. Jesus is the one who makes the invisible God visible. It's in him that the fullness of deity dwells. It's the word of Christ that helps us understand who God is and you and I never put our trust in people and things we don't what? No, we don't know. So it's a gift. And God in his grace has revealed himself. This Bible fundamentally isn't about you and me. It's about God that has everything to do about you and me. And God in his grace wants us to have a relationship with him that is conducted by trust. Like, is that new? That's the foundation of every great relationship. And when trust is broken in the marriage, guess what? That rocks the marriage. And so God is revealing himself, his character, who he is through his word perfectly through his son so that we could hear about this God and the power of the gospel that points to Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament, starts birthing faith, trust, so that as we understand the strength of his hands, that the nature of his love, we don't just jump, I don't know, we go, yes. I want to follow you. I trust you with all my life. Now, here's some of the benefits. We're going to grow stronger in this study. There's going to be greater clarity. Because as we get to the big rocks of our faith, all of a sudden we realize what aren't so important rocks. And it's really easy. You realize the denominations divided over little rock things. Like, what's the mode of baptism? Do they need to go all the way under, can you sprinkle them? Well, that was, well that's really important. Like that, that, that's not what, so you, it's, there's gonna be greater clarity. One of the things that we're gonna realize is, oh, you know, there are a lot of things that people that are in divided camps that we all hold to, the camp of God's family, is actually gonna, is gonna get bigger, and that's a good thing. There's a wonderful phrase, a lot of times attributed to Augustine, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. It's actually not from Augustine, but that's a great, great motto. And there's gonna be greater unity. There's gonna, expect this through our study this summer, that you're gonna be more well-rounded 
as a Christ follower. There are some of us that know a whole lot about God and Jesus, God the Father and Jesus, very little about the Spirit. There's some of us that go, you don't? Man, like, I'm all about the Spirit. Come talk to me. I'll tell you everything you need to know about the Spirit. I don't really know a lot about God the Father. And there's a lot of us that haven't really thought about the church and our part in the church, the importance of the church. There's a lot of us who've never thought about the implications of the hope of resurrection and eternal life, the communion of saints. So it's gonna round us out. There's gonna be better balance in our life, in our thinking, in our living, and greater symmetry as we think hard after God. So let's bring it to conclusion in this way. There's some of us here that just aren't sure. We're not sure if there is a God, or maybe we're convinced there isn't a God. You're an agnostic, self-described atheist. So I'd encourage you to focus on the object of faith. Your faith, and then the object of the Christian's faith. You're looking for reasons and arguments and God sent his son. God's apologetic was relational. It's not like it doesn't have anything to do with the mind. You're chasing down rational reasons and arguments, and God's offering you a relationship. And so what I would say is, ask yourself the question, so you do believe something. Even your Understanding and belief that there isn't a God is, is there's a measure of faith to that because you've got to prove that there isn't a God just like you want the theist to prove that there is a God. So you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're listening to me now. Here's what I'm asking you to do. is say, so what, what is my creed? What is the object of my faith? And is, is, that, is, that, is there structural integrity Is it holding me up? Not just when it's sunny skies and life is good. How's that working out? And then I encourage you to just grab a gospel this week. Like the gospel, Mark, is the shortest, but maybe you're type A and you want to go for the hard stuff. Get into Luke, John, or Matthew. They're a lot longer, but Mark is just real short and simple. And you just train your eye on Jesus, who he says he is, what he did, and at the end of the day, what do you think about Jesus, all right? There's a second group. We believe, but like that father of the boy who was traumatized by demons, thrown in the fire, we go, I believe, but Lord, I don't help my unbelief. You go, man, I, I'm weak right now. My faith is, is, is waning. It's not growing. It's not even static. I'm losing ground. I want to ask you this right now. If that's the case, my hunch is you're going through something really hard. And your eye is actually on the circumstances Colossians 3, 1, setting our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's not your focus. And so what I'd encourage you to do is don't be ruled by your circumstances. Don't be ruled by your emotions right now and all that is hard. Let all that is hard drive you to the one who suffered the cross for you. And so I'm not going to direct you to the gospel. I'm going to direct you to go back, as we just studied it as a church family, go back to Colossians, get a piece of paper out and a pen, and you write down everything Colossians tells us about Jesus. There's the third category. I'm a Christ follower. I'm good. I got strong faith. It's mine. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's mine, and I'm good. So let's just double check. Let's just double check. As we say, I'm good. 
Because if we're saying I'm good and it really isn't mine, that's not good. If we're saying, hey, it's, it's, it seems to be, this God thing seems to be working out. And so really what we're saying is it's pragmatically working out for me. Well, trust me, Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. It's gonna get tough. What is your faith anchored to? It's gotta be to Christ. And let me push it even a little further because here's the great danger is that when we say, I'm good, my faith is strong, actually what we're saying is, I've got a big God category up here in the frontal lobe. I've done my homework. I've even been in the church all my life. I've got a biblical, a theological degree, whatever it is. Okay, nothing wrong with knowledge. But what we gotta ask ourselves when we say faith is strong is what we gotta then say, but is my faith working? Because James says faith without works is dead. Does it actually make a difference in how I treat people? Did it make a difference this week? If there was a tape, and there is, God's got the tape. Thankfully, Jesus died for all the stuff on the tape. But if you, if you just reviewed, would you, would you go, oh, oh yeah, my words were always building people up, never tearing people down. See, faith, biblical faith, makes a difference in how we live. And I think we're confused where we go, I believe, I believe. But then we're screaming at each other and the stuff coming out of our mouth and the practices in business or whatever, they're, they're not lining up. There's a great story of Harriet Tubman who was changed by God's word and given a deep abiding faith and her faith made a difference in every day of her life. She was born as a slave into slavery in Maryland on a plantation, 1822. She was mistreated. She was frequently whipped. She had to work hard, whether it was driving the oxen or trapping little animals or working as a nursemaid. She endured this unbelievable sorrow and pain of seeing three of her sisters sold by the master. There was a time where the master wanted to sell one of her brothers. And her mom went off and uh, threatened, threatened the master and said this, look, the first guy who comes into my house to get my son, I'm gonna split his head open. And apparently, she must have had a really stern look because he never tried to sell her brother. So her mother's actions may have had a part in having her know how to resist evil and actually trust that some good could come out of that. So at the age of 26, she caught wind that she was going to be sold. She'd run away many a time. But she heard that she was going to be sold. So this woman who had this deep faith in God, she was told the stories of the Bible by her mother, decides, I got to run away. And so in the middle of the night, following the North Star, in and out for 90 miles, she makes her way to freedom in Pennsylvania. And at that point, she had a decision to make. Am I just going to walk into this new world of freedom? Or am I going to help other people experience what I now have, freedom? And so for the next eight years, she smuggled slaves up that underground railroad. She says of this, I never ran my train off the track and I never lost a passenger. They all made it to freedom. 
She gave all the credit to God. Here's what she said. It wasn't me. It was the Lord. I always told them, I trust you. I don't know where to go, what to do, Lord. But I expect you to lead me, and he always did. You've heard me say this a hundred times. Faith is taking God at his word, obeying what he tells us to do, and trusting in what he promises he will do. Here's a woman who had a personal relationship with God through faith in God that was born out of her mother's faith and her mother's pointing her to the word of God and it changed how she did life. May that be true for you and me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you how you have used your word in people, lived out, taught, so many different ways to bring us to faith. We thank you how your word has been doing just that as people have heard your word and they've placed their faith in Christ. Thank you that you are a God who though you are holy and completely other, Lord, we know who you are because you have moved towards us and revealed who you are. And we thank you for your son, the perfect revelation of who you are. Lord Jesus, grant us faith, Grow our faith and may our faith work out in everyday life to love you more and those you've called us to serve. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.